Hey, hey, our Alan here, and this week I'm talking with Aaron Howe, a musician from the band MF Ruckus, and Jake Fairley, the artist who's drawing Aaron's comic book. Jake was on one of the first episodes of this podcast, White Guys Who Hate the Man, another classic episode that will eventually be finding its way back to the stream. And he does a comic of his own called This Is Heavy Metal. Anyway, Aaron and Jake talk about their book, how they both got into music, and how they came to work on a video for Billy Ray Cyrus. I'll try to link that video in the description of this episode. Hey, thanks for supporting Motherfucker in a Cape. If you need to reach out to me, do it on Tumblr or at my new Twitter, at R underscore Alan underscore right. Remember, Alan is A-L-A-N, four letters more better. Or on Instagram, at The Burning Metronome, T-H-E-B-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-E-T-R-O-N-O-M-E. That's the name of the comic book that I write. And check The Colorado Sun online for my weekly comic, What I Miss. You can check it on the opinion section of coloradosun.com for free. All right, let's get it. Here's the deal. When I was a 10-year-old going to comic book conventions, it was just me and white dudes in their 40s. I couldn't even find any black Vulcaneers. I wanted to be a Vulcan, damn it. But now things have changed. I grew up and got cool, then suddenly comics got cool, and I love that. I'm R. Allen Brooks, and with my man Jordan Froelich, we discuss geek culture and whether there's a place for you and me to be whoever we are. Recorded at Mutiny Information Cafe on South Broadway in Denver, it's not a vampire, it's not a pimp. This is Motherfucker in the Cape. Welcome to Motherfucker in the Cape. I am R. Allen Brooks. I am here with Jake Fairley. Say hello. Hi. And Aaron Howe. Hello. <laughs> and we're here to talk about their uh, comic that they are putting together for Aaron's band, MF Ruckus. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you give our guests a round of applause for being here, please? Yeah. Thank you. We'll double those those claps. And yeah, well, yeah, that's, they, there are thousands of people in this audience right now, and you are going to know it, listener at home. I like that you think that there's post. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't? I'm eating a bowl of post cornflakes. Oh, right. I'm putting this on those the internet. <laughs> All right, so, uh, Jake, you were on one of my first episodes ever, yeah. which was White Guys Who Hate the Man. I remember saying the word subservient like 15 times. You did, and, and I never heard it again. Feeling like an idiot. And then, and then me and Annie looked it up, and it was a real word. It, was a, it is a real word. <laughs> we weren't I sure. Wouldn't, I wouldn't so shortchange you, you, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, so just really quickly, Jake, how did you get into comics and this whole geek life? Uh, well, I get, well, comics themselves, they're, you know, they're just around, so I would just read them, you know? Yeah. Um, because of their accessibility. Uh, I got into the comics scene in Denver. Uh, I grew up skateboarding with Noah Van Skyver, hmm. and then I went to art school, and I was like, man, I hope I'm not poor. I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. That's obviously true. But I was like, man, it'd be great to have some measure of success. And then I said to Noah, because he was a famous cartoonist at that point, and I was like, hey, man, what should I do? And he said, go hang out with the drink and draw people. Lonnie, Lonnie's right over there. <laughs> and then I met all the cartoonists, and now I'm a now I'm a comic now I'm a comics boy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now you are the leader. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but that sounded cool how you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll catch on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Yeah. So uh, you are a musician. Now you're making a comic. I guess let's talk about how how this all came together. Like, how'd you get into music? And what was your path to comics? So. So this might get my my nerd card revoked if I ever had one in the first place. <laughs> I think I'm three punches away from it getting torn up. But it uh, 
I've always been a very casual um, comic book fan. When I was a, a little kid, I liked you know comic strips. Yeah, you know reading the funnies and. And I would have those Garfield um, compendiums, and uh, my uncle had a bunch of Mad Magazine compendiums, uh, you know, special books from the 70s, and I liked Gary Larson and The Far Side, Far Side and things yeah. like that. We got a little bit older, and what kid didn't love the um, the Tim Burton Batman movies? Right. I went as Batman for Halloween, shit my pants in my parents' backyard. That's a true story. <laughs> you were Shatman. Still went, yeah, Shatman. That's wow. right. Boom, there it is. I've been waiting my entire life for that joke. No, and, um, but it, the, and, and I was really into X-Men. Uh, Gambit was my favorite X-Men. Mm, you know, really? I, I, oh, dude, I love the charisma and the... And the uh, his agility, and I love the idea that he could charge items with kinetic energy. I think it's just fingerless gloves. Uh, <laughs> right, that's pretty cool too. <laughs> and his little like headband, yeah, is like it? it looks like he like just got done skiing. You know, <laughs> yes. he's trying to keep his ears warm. He does look like a and, like a, and, a, and, a, and I like the, the trench coat and the staff. And I, but what I what I was more into is stories. Yeah, you know. I loved I loved uh, cinematic a- adaptations of comics, and I loved cartoons. And my dad showed me Wizards by Ralph Bakshi way sooner than he okay. probably should have. And <laughs> I loved sci-fi and fantasy and and stuff like the Dark Crystal. And well, well, so what appealed to you about sci-fi and fantasy? I you know I don't know. I would just nerd out on it. I I, I don't know if I could uh, verbalize what that. Like, I don't know if I could find the words to really sum up what it was that it did for me. I was just always fascinated with it. Okay. I loved Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, you know, the Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. And, and, and I uh, I really got into uh, vignettes a lot. Huh. Like, I loved um, Creepshow. I shot, oh, yeah. I shot yeah. Creepshow when I was young. Ruined my life. <laughs> like, um, just seeing the Father's Day wow. um, ep- uh, vignette was terrified me and made me scared of zombies forever. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, uh, I would I would binge on Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember Amazing Stories? Yeah, that's stories? coming back. Yeah, yeah, it is coming back. Yes. Like, it, and it was great. Like the, the episode, the like Shakespeare episode with Christopher Lloyd, where he gets oh. his head cut off and oh, then you play the album so backwards. Yeah. And, dude, it's so good. One of my favorites. The Misters. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> what does? Yeah. One of my favorites is uh, there's a a toupee that when people wear it, it makes them murderous. Yes. I just remember distinctly. Yes. The toupee running away on the floor, and this guy being like, "It's a psychopathic hairpiece." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they made that a uh, Treehouse of Horror episode. Hell, to, Hell toupee. Hell toupee. Yeah, yeah, nice. And then Turbo Negro wrote a song called Hell toupee about going bald. Ah, that's true. That. Yeah. Nice. And it it appeals to me more than it used to. <laughs> Strangely. <laughs> Strangely, yeah, I, I just always love stories. Like I always sucked at video games, yeah. But I would love to watch people who were good at video games play video games because I liked following the story. I wanted to see the end of the game. Okay, you know, I yeah. I would use cheat codes to beat a game just so I could see the ending of the game. I played Metal Gear Solid in my teens probably twenty times uh, just to geez. see how many different endings I could see on it. That's you know, they, why I don't play video games. Because I have to end it with every character. It oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I, huh. like, I had a handful of comics. More, what I liked about comics more than the books themselves was uh, my bass player Logan, who's been my lifelong best friend, and his brother Marshall. Um, they collected a lot of stuff, okay. and uh, they they always had cool toys and video games and 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 comics and. And I would go over to their house a lot and, and do that stuff because my parents weren't really into video games and and it was a little 
there was a little bit more permission over there, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I would go over there and hang out, and um, and they collected the flair. Um, Marvel cards. Oh, okay. Ooh. And I loved looking through those and reading the stats on the different characters. Nice. I was really just, I was fascinated with the characters. Hmm. And, so, so it's just a love of character, a love of stories. Love of characters, yeah. love of stories, love yeah. of super, superpowers. You know, huh. I, was, I was kind of a little dorky guy, got my ass whipped a lot, huh. you know, kind of was a little hyperactive and annoying. So I really liked the idea uh, and, and fantasized a lot about the idea of being something greater than I was, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's certainly the appeal of uh, superhero fantasies to oh, a lot yeah. of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So that is what spoke to you in pop culture of your youth. Uh, did that, did those influences find their way into your music? So, so then, you know, as... I always wanted to be an entertainer of some sort. Okay. I wanted to be a comedian or an actor. And then when I got older, it was wanting to be, uh, you know, wanting to be a musician and entertainer. Really, it all just came from this, like, desperate need for it, you know, attention. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, this Classic. egoic desire to just be liked by people, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So, um, when I became a teenager, I started learning about... I started learning about punk rock. You know, we would we would make music videos and stuff before we could even play music, just like lip syncing to Faith No More and Blind <laughs> right. Melon and, and things yeah. like that. And um, yeah, and uh, so it, when when I started getting into punk rock and started getting into metal and started getting into more counterculture, that's when I started getting into like really subversive films, like like I really got into Gilliam. Huh. And I really got, uh, you know, I started, the first time I smoked pot, I saw the wall, huh. you know, and it, and I was like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> I, who is this band? Right, <laughs> you know? right. It was, so, and, and, uh, you know, years and years and years of just like playing punk rock and trying to, um, I don't know, just like play the character yeah. of being the like, shitty little punk rock asshole teenager uh, uh, like I, I did that for a long time and I really didn't get into the the marrying concepts into it and marrying the the, the interest of, of fantasy and, and my interest in, in stories and things like that in until I got a little bit older um, and matured a little bit I was always into writing really offensive and vulgar and uh, uh, kind of goofy stuff. I was a big Ween fan, so okay. I was mixing a lot of that into it. I was huge into Green Jello, so I liked the idea of just like dorky, goofy characters. Yeah. Like so, um, so are you saying that as you got older, uh, you started to be able to merge those things? Was there like a particular catalyst, or was it just that you got older, more mature? <laughs> um, like, like I remember. I remember when I was probably 18 or so. Yeah. The band had the like liked to write silly songs. Um, I was always really inspired by uh, Shel Silverstein. Okay. So I liked like goofy poetry and stuff like that. So we'd write goofy songs. The first like story song I can remember writing is we wrote this song called "The Dark Prophecy of Christopher Walken." <laughs> that was it's a good was, name. Ba was based on the prophecy. Which I hadn't even seen. In fact, to this, to this day, I don't know if I've ever seen the prophecy all the way through. But I got the gist of it, and I, we wrote a song about it. And, and um, 
then I got a little bit older and I started learning about, um, I studied neurolinguistic programming yeah. and started getting into these like the ideas of Carl Jung and, and psychology and, and, and mysticism and just all sorts of whatever weird, spooky mind body stuff I could find out there uh-huh. and learned about the process of metaphor creation and then started writing more stuff with with an intention of communicating an idea through the veil of metaphor if that makes sense mm-hmm. yes and um, I for a while ruckus had kind of slowed down and I started collaborating uh, with this guy Doug Walker from uh, the only the only band I can think of that people would really know is the Hookers. If anybody's ever heard of the Hookers, but huh. um, he was a guitar player from Kentucky, metal guy. We met when the Hookers were on tour, and he invited me to be in this new wave of British heavy metal band called Monolith. And I started returning to comics for inspiration. I started reading Elric, and I started reading uh, Prophet, huh. and Je- and. You know, going back to Heavy Metal magazine, yeah, things yeah. like that. Like I loved the Heavy Metal movie when I was a kid. That was another one of those, those like fringe subculture <laughs> movies that I was like, I'm so punk rock and metal. I'm watching, you know, bum fights and heavy metal and <laughs> ah, I'm crazy and wild. You know. Well, so let's back up a little bit. So you said uh, that you had been with MF Ruckus for a while. When did when did you start that band? The truth is that MF Ruckus, like. Ruckus is just like version 3.5 of the band I've been in since I was in high school. Okay. It never ended. Huh. Um, St. Patrick's Day 1997, um, the band that I was in called Fourth Year Freshman played our first show at, um, at a youth group, which was interesting. Because, <laughs> because well, because I've always... I've, my parents were cool in the sense, like in a lot of ways, but they were very cool in that they didn't force religion on us at all. Mm-hmm. They were just like, we went to a couple different churches and they're like, we don't know and we want our Sundays, so you figure it out. <laughs> and um, so I had this opportunity to kind of develop critical thinking and decide for myself. And I went, went to this youth group just because it was a fun place to hang out. They had skate ramps, they had bands play, they had pool tables and arcade machines. They, they let us really name it. They really you when you were a kid with cool shit at church. Dude, I remember, I, I remember to this that day, shit. Yeah. I, will, I will never say a disparaging word uh, about the people who ran that. They actually asked some people to leave who tried to uh, Bible thump at us. Huh. Sure. You know, they were they were like, that's, that's not cool. what we do here. Yeah. And it's rock and roll. That just that, like the Lord. Well that trust attracted us to the Bible study and we would go to the Bible study and we would debate and we would again stories. Yeah. I loved revelations. I loved hearing the stories of the Bible and like I mean it all just played like a fantasy novel to me. You huh. know? So I I thought it was fascinating. Uh-huh. And I was a little punk rock shit, so I wanted to <laughs> argue and they were totally supportive of that. That's very cool. And um, so, yeah, fourth year freshman played our first show there, and then we just kept going and kept going. And people came in and out of the band, and and it took years and years to talk the guys into a rebrand. And you know, just like guys were twenty five years old, our band should not be called fourth year freshman. It's so stupid. <laughs> and then we're like, well, we'll lose our fan base if we change our name, which was the dumbest fucking thing (laughs) so we just dropped freshman we went as fourth year for a while it was awful we put out one album 
uh, under that name. That and was then the one. That's the one that I have. That's Regulators. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a fun uh, album, but it's just, a good time. We, I remember the way actually that I found out about them was uh, uh, I was living in a house in the DU neighborhood in like 2008, and. Uh, it was like a shitty party house. We lived there together. D uh, <laughs> D D use bags. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, the D use uh, bags. Anyway, uh, yeah, somebody just knocked down my door and was like, "Hey man, you look like a rock and roller. You want a CD?" And I was like, "Fuck." Was it sure, Jay? man? I don't. <laughs> I don't remember who it was at all. Um, I don't remember what they looked like. Anyway, when I was, it's a good record. That's how I found out about you guys. It's you just. Know? It's just. <laughs> On the street marketing, right? Good. Yeah. yeah, and now I'm draw comic books for you, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's just something that never ended, and yeah. um, you know, I ended up. I was really, I really hated the name for such a long time, and I felt it was holding us back. You know, we were, we were trying to get bigger, and we were trying to create more opportunity for ourselves, and people just weren't taking us seriously because we had so much history uh-huh. as being this shitty little punk rock band from uh-huh. Denver. You know. Jim up at the front here at Mutiny, you know, he could tell you stories all day about kicking us out of the green room at huh. the Uber Theater and what a pain in the ass we were and, um, and it, you know, getting in fights at Cafe Euphrates and all this crazy shit. So it was, we were, you know, we had gotten some musicians who could actually play. That's around the time that Tay Hamilton, who's now in Hot Apostles, joined yeah. the band. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just going in a different direction. And I had a phone conference with, um, do you know who Martin Atkins is? No. Okay, so Martin Atkins is the drummer for Public Image Limited. He was in Pig Face. He's, he's done all, every job you can possibly do in the music industry. Okay. But it, like, his vocation musically is he's a drummer. But he's also kind of a independent music guru. He wrote a book called Tour Smart. He's got a website and community and puts out videos and, and speaks at independent music conferences all the time. And um, you could hire him yeah. to do uh, cons- to consult with you. Okay. And I was working at the Rockaway Tavern at the time. Uh, you know, I felt the band was going nowhere. I set aside a little bit of money and I got him to do a consultation. And I was like, man, I've been really trying to get my bandmates to change the band name forever and they just they're, they're I can't get them to budge on it and, and we're worried about losing our following and we're worried what a, a, a rebrand would do to us and I'll never forget this he just said if you stopped playing music tomorrow and became a garbage man the people that you know around the world the people that you've developed relationships with would still take your call Huh. The guy who works at venue in Seattle and this venue and you know runs the door in Austin and the yeah. guy you know in California and this guy in Chicago, they will still take your call. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not going to lose those relationships just because you change your band name. Huh. And he goes, if it's not serving you, you should change it. Huh. He goes, and come up with a really creative way to do it. So we put out a lie in the press. Okay. We sent out a press release that said we were breaking up and we were having our last show. And um, we had a Viking funeral slash roast at Hell's <laughs> Barbecue. We had a bunch of our friends and a bunch of comedians from the scene. Chuck Roy, Sam Talent. Um, the late Jordan Muliba actually yeah. played um, guitar at us for a, a period of time. So Jordan came and roasted us and um, roasted everyone else in the band. And uh, one of my, uh, you know, Jordan and I were really tight. And... Um, and roasted everybody else in the band and then just said nothing but the sweetest, kindest stuff to me on that stage. And um, that was, 
you know, we saw each other a couple times after that, but huh. that was like really the last time that like we really had what I would call a solid hang. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I hope I didn't meander too much on that, but <laughs> but what and, we and, about? and we're right. still <laughs> and we're still going. You know, yeah. I um, I got sober about five years ago, and by that I mean I quit drinking alcohol and taking hard drugs and smoking cigarettes. I still smoke weed like a motherfucker. Thank you, Joey. Uh, <laughs> I've got specifics. some edibles back behind me specifics. if anybody wants some. Yeah, uh, I'm about harm reduction. <laughs> I don't like joining cults, so I just stopped the stuff that was harmful for me. And then once that uh, once that happened, um, I got really serious and started pushing the band more. Hmm. Started writing more. We um, in the last couple of years we started running the band more like a channel. Okay. Uh, we started a podcast. We have our YouTube channel. We've toured Europe now well, three so times. Where did the name MF? So we were driving around in the van, and yeah. I had finally gotten the guys talked into changing the name, and yeah. that was the easy part. Uh, the hard part is riding around the in the van, arguing over what we're going to call the name. Yeah. The van, we were listening to Wu Tang Clan, huh. and Bring the Ruckus came on, uh, and you know, Bring the motherfucking Ruckus, Bring the motherfucking Ruckus, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, man, how cool would it be if we just called our band the motherfucking Ruckus? Uh, and our drummer is like. Why don't we? And so we're like, we kind of went back and forth on We were like, that's pretty cool. It's like, no one will let us hang our posters up. We're like, well, we'll go by MF Ruckus, huh. you know, and and uh, people will know what we're talking about. Well, so when you met uh, Lonnie MF Allen, was there immediate aggression? <laughs> we fought each other, actually. <laughs> I remember he used to wear, uh, used to wear the, the Ruckus patch on his jacket all the time, and I was like... That's a band I like. Did you know, did you know that? Like, <laughs> oh, really? Uh -huh. Yeah. Like the, the, the MF? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. See, yeah. that's how we get you. That actually, that actually came to like MF Emblem. Yeah. I, I came here to Mutiny, and Jim was like, he just gave it to me. He was like, well, <laughs> you've earned his name. That's great. Our old guitar player, Jerry, uh, was wearing it on his jacket. He uh, runs the campus cart for Biker Gems. Yeah. And uh, someone asked what the MF stood for, and he said Maroon Five. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but uh, nice. but so that emblem actually came from this this idea of like uh, Josh Finley, who's in the audience tonight, uh, created that for us. And what I told him is, I was like, I was like, look at the Mega Man bad guys. Hmm. Like, look at look at the art on Mega Man. Yeah. I was like, we want like a, like a shield, an emblem with that with that MF. Huh. You know, like branding's very important. People. <laughs> you know, if you want to get anywhere story. in the world, it's all marketing. All right, so we learned the history, sort of, of your uh, geek pop culture obsessions and music. Jake, right. you are also both a musician and a comics creator. Uh, we talked about your comic book stuff, but what was the path for you with music? Oh, well, you know, I was a, just a child, and, uh, you know, I had some friends, which was just great, you know? Uh, <laughs> we're off to a good start. We're just crushing over here. <laughs> no, uh, I started playing when I was a kid, um, as a freshman in high school, and just, you know, fucking getting shit on by people that were cooler than me all the time. And, uh... Oh, my drummer and I, Spencer, is, uh, we're still playing together. Um, we started playing together when we were, you know, like 14, and then we both went to uh, this hippie high school for weird people called Renzel, the Rocky Mountain School of Expeditionary Learning. Huh. 
And uh, it was kind of like a sort of like an inmates running the prison y type scenario. Where, like when I was when I was in uh, like regular high school, I was just, like a weird nerd who got beat up a lot, and uh, well, maybe not that much. But anyway, uh, more than you would like. More than I would like. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to Remsel, and it was like if you were like a dorky kid that really liked Iron Maiden, which Iron Maiden was not cool when I was in high school. It was like in, in 2003, Iron Maiden made me not want to talk to you. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, if I, you were, like, into comic books and, like, traditional metal music, you were, like, the cool, you were, like, the jock, basically, you know? Huh. Uh, so, and right away, uh, we, I just, I got into a band in, like, the first week of going to Remsel um, to play a show at a cafe called Java Creek in Cherry Creek, which is weird. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, we just, I mean, like I said, right away, I've met these very, very talented guitar players, uh, and we... You know, started making music and it was cool. I remember. Uh, here's a silly story. Uh, the first real good show that I we like played. I like the disclaimer, yeah, by the way. The very first, the, the first like real show that we played, like a couple hundred people there, is that uh, when, it was, when Cervantes' other side was Quixote's, but it was before it had opened, so there was still like, you know, like the electrical shit was like hanging outside of the wall. It was like, huh. terrible, torn down. <laughs> it just seems like you remember that, yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, played this big battle band. And uh, our guitar player, who uh, is kind of crazy, he at the time he told us that he had this he had a Paul Chen katana sitting on his mantle like above his computer, and he said that it magically fell off of the mantle that it was sitting on, and nearly cut off his index finger on his guitar playing hand. So he had a big bandage on his index finger. So he's playing with just these three fingers, which later I found out he just tried to cut his finger off because he's fucking crazy. But <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck you, Ben. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. Uh, anyway, uh, he played Van Halen's Eruption fucking blindfolded and behind his back like this with, oh. with three fingers and everybody on the stage, everybody in the band, we started bowing to him, you know, and then everybody in the audience started bowing to him and I was like, fuck, this is, I'm going to do this shit for the rest of my life. Like, this is a fucking <laughs> cool experience. <laughs> Felt very cool, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, then we kept playing, uh, I don't know, then our guitar player died in an accident, which was huh. shitty. Um, and, uh, yeah, then, you know, you just kind of keep, keep on keeping on out there. Uh, yeah. it took us like 10 years to find another suitable guitar player, which, uh, then we initially, you know, eventually you find the people that you're looking for if you spend enough time looking for them, generally, <laughs> that's the way that things work. Um, yeah, you know, now I'm just, I'm a fucking rock star now, dude. I'm, I'm going to... Well, you do like have a video. Own. You have a video on YouTube. I, we have one music video. Uh, what is the name of the song? It's called I Will Eat You. And what is the name of the band? We're called Hail Satan. All right. People yeah. know what to look for now. Yeah, it's good. If you want to see some white supremacists get uh, butchered and eaten and consumed. I'm glad you finished fun. that sentence. Yeah, but <laughs> y'all want to see some white supremacists. <laughs> Come on out to Hail Satan Let me tell you. That's the scene. <laughs> No, murdered, please. By the way, my favorite character in that video, Jake, besides you, of course, obviously, is that you Thanks. have you have the Klansman, you have the the Nazi skinhead, and then you have the tech bro, the tiki, the tiki, <laughs> the torch, tiki bro. torch tech bro, oh, and we yeah. burn him with tiki torches. Like, and he has his he has his badge and stuff. I was like, <laughs> who's that guy? And I don't get it. He's got like a pony nub and uh, like a polo shirt. You're like, oh, that's the like uh, tiki torch tech yeah, bro. That's guy. Shit, that's shit. <laughs> Charlottesville fucking piece of garbage. Uh, also, Jake. Uh, was in my Kickstarter video. He had to play obnoxious comic book guy, yeah. but he could not be mean enough, so he had to do a lot of takes, because he's 
It's a nice guy. I'm a nice person. You're a nice guy. You know? Yeah. All right, Aaron. So uh, you decided at some point that the channel of MF, Ruck MF Ruckus would extend to comics. So how did that come about? So, okay, so I'm going to try and be as transparent as possible because it's, it's a multi-level <laughs> thing. Okay. Right. So there is definitely a level of just being hyperactive and bored. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, we can, our drummer's got two kids, our guitar player lives in Chicago. Um, you know, we are really only able to play 20 gigs a year. Okay. You know, touring is difficult. Right. Um, and uh, anybody who's done touring for any length of time, it's exhausting. And you spin your wheels for a long time, producing very little result. Yeah, yeah. it'll, it'll turn um, And, like, there are friends of mine who have been road-dogging it for years and years and years and are... You know, like my, my friends from Against the Grain, they've been road-dogging it forever, and uh, they are finally doing amazing stuff. But you really have to grind it for a long time. Um, it's, it, you know, for the most part, it's here's your two drink tickets, and right. your audience is the sound guy and the, and the bartender, and you will, you actually owe us money tonight. So, <laughs> like, it's, um, and... But I wanted to make sure that the band kept going. So, um, you know, because my favorite thing in the world is to travel the world and have fun playing music with the people I love. Right. You know, that used to just extend to my bandmates, who are my brothers, but it also now extends to our to our families, our spouses, and our children, and whatnot. But, um, you know, because we weren't able to play as much, I wanted to do stuff to get people's attention in between. I wanted to do stuff to keep interest in the band, keep the right. band alive. Um, you know, another reason is I would see that you would put an album out. Uh -huh. You know, there was, a, there was a marketing dimension to it for sure. I would I see the bands would put an album out and there would be a big wave of interest and buzz and, and press and then it would die out till you put the next album out. Yeah. And I was like... We've got these handful of songs that are getting, you know, that that are getting attention, but there's deeper cuts on the album that aren't getting a chance to live, in my opinion. Uh -huh. How can I give more life to these individual songs? So I came up with this idea um, to do a serialized concept album and graphic novel. The original idea was to do it monthly. Huh. In fact, originally Josh Finley and I put it together. Okay, um, I had asked him to to help me do it, and and he agreed, and it just ended up being. A much more massive undertaking that, than we had thought it would be. Josh is very busy. Comics, dude, <laughs> break your heart, kid. Josh is Josh is yeah. very busy, and and his illustration style is. He drew in the first comic. He drew each frame as like a full size drawing. Oh And wow. the way Josh draws, he draws everything three times. Huh. And so it was just this very long process. We had a very low budget. I was only able to pay him a thousand bucks a book, which is not much. Right, you know, um, considering what real comic book artists get paid, and um, and so it just it it took over a year to get the first book done. Okay, um, but that was the original intent was to do uh, to just do the series to keep people interested. Yeah, um, and then it, it, and like I said, my number one primary motivation is to travel the world and play music with my friends so I wanted to come up with ways to create opportunity for us that wouldn't necessarily require us to tour since that wasn't an option for us huh. um, additionally 
I saw a need for stories. Uh-huh. I really do feel that before um, religion bastardizes and mutates stories, mm-hmm. um, there are valuable lessons. Like every every religious story you can think of, every great story in history comes from a story that comes from a story that comes from a story. You know, all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and St. George and the Dragon and and uh, and, and, and all that stuff. And um, I started learning about uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's yeah. journey and started learning about all these ways that stories are part of our collective consciousness and they show up independently in different parts of the world. I became really fascinated by that. And I was beginning to ask, I was beginning to do a lot of investigation to what my purpose was in life. Uh-huh. And, you know, I thought, what do I love to do? Love to play music with my friends and travel the world. What am I good at? Well, I'm pretty good at dancing around on stage and entertaining people. (laughs) I'm pretty good at, like, I'm a pretty masterful bullshit artist. I can write relatively well. Um, I can't draw, but I can write relatively well. And, and And then the third question was, what does the world need? And at that time, I thought the world could use a little sanity. Huh because this was right after Trump got elected and people started freaking out, you know? <laughs> yeah. And even before that, you know, um, you know, we're all part of the 9-11 generation. Yeah. It's just been a colossal freak out ever since, you know, 24-hour news, social media, and just crazy outrage and algorithms that drive you to click stuff that you're afraid of, you know? So I just, my thought was, the world could use a little sanity. It's right. Fun, so man. I wanted, I had an interest in post-apocalyptic um, uh, stories. I liked Mad Max. I liked Six String Samurai. I oh, liked, I love Six String Samurai. <laughs> I loved Wizards. I loved the idea of mixing post-apocalyptic science fiction with fantasy. I loved that idea. Right. Now, um, before you get into uh, describing the book, I want to know how Jake came on. And then we'll oh, yeah. Yeah, take it from there. So, so yeah, this is th- this is actually. That's um, <laughs> always the key. Jake's yeah. part in this started here at Mutiny. Okay. Josh and I were going through the comics section looking for source material, uh-huh. and we're looking at different books. And he pulled out his phone, and we're taking pictures of these, you know, like. Hey, what do you think of this book? What do you think of this book? And we're looking at Frank Miller, and we're looking at you know, we're looking at Batman, and we're looking at Spawn, and we're looking at uh, uh, Saga and Pro. And I'm going, Prophet is this book I love. Yeah. And I see this book. Well, first I see like Heavy Metal magazine, and then I see this book next to Heavy Metal magazine, and it's called This Is Heavy Metal by Jake Fairley. It's nice. Me. And I look at it, and I thought that. Heavy Metal did a one-off indie comic. Well played, Jake. I, you know, I'm glad. I, I appreciated Jim <laughs> positioning the book in, in such a way well, that made people to believe. And I saw that's that. That's what I wanted to have happen, actually. That was, yeah. like, my original point. I saw that, and I showed it to Josh, and I said, this is what I want. Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, I want to do kind of a kind of a cartoony Hesh comic. I want it to be kind of like a pop, apocalyptic surrealist, but also, also goofy and funny and Oh, that's fun. very cool. And uh, and then we went through the long process of, and I won't go into the story of Josh and I trying to do the book, which was 
you know, which was a learning curve to beat all learning curves. It was yeah. like very challenging. Making Tried my patience. Sucks. Yeah, you're learning a whole new medium. <laughs> the whole, it was a whole new medium. And, yeah. and keep in mind, at this point, I have the entire story plotted out. I've been putting sticky notes in my van of the characters, like how everything kind of. You, that sounds together. like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I started, I've started, you know, I've gone on um, Celtics, the like free uh, script writing software. Yeah, yeah. And I had written the first eight or nine of 36 chapters. Like nice. I was, I was grinding hard. Okay. And it was just so slow. Eventually, um, Josh and I start working on the second book and it's just it's taking longer than than it can take yeah and I called Josh we had a conversation he was very understanding Josh and I are great friends we he respect was, each other here. a great deal he's right there uh, yeah. we we uh, <laughs> we still do a lot of stuff together but he totally understood right and so we parted ways and we're trying to find somebody I found this guy in the Philippines who committed one day, failed the next. I found, huh. I had a few other artists shown to me that were just non-committal or never materialized. Well, this makes and, me want to ask you a question here. And and I'll interrupt you here and there just because I, I want to get to somebody's, like, right, right, right. deeper on some things. But it's interesting to me that uh, your initial inspiration artistically was Jake's book. And then you were working with Josh. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, that didn't work out. It didn't go at the speed right. you wanted to. But you did say that you learned some things. So what are some of the things that you learned about uh, just this new medium, the process of writing for a comic book artist? The etc. greatest thing that I learned did not become apparent to me until after Jake took over, which is that drawing comics is a very specific type of drawing. Yeah. It is a very specific skill set. It's true. After the mm -hmm. first... so. Well, let me let me tell you this real quick. So Josh or Jake would hang out and drink and party at Streets of London. Okay. Yeah, that's how I really got. And it Logan, our bass player, bartends. <laughs> the only time I've been to Streets of London, London is with Jake. Hey. Yeah. Well, Logan, our bass player, bartends over there. Okay. Logan refers to Jake as the Copac King of Denver. Yeah, I, I like to drink Copacs. <laughs> I drink whiskey. I like to have something to taste. Yeah, like yeah. Ah, Jake Fairley, the Copac King of Denver. <laughs> and Logan hits me up and he goes, "Hey, I've been talking. There's this guy that hangs out at the bar, who's I." Who said, you know, he's a comic book artist and he seems interested in doing the project. Do you want me to put you in touch with him? So we get in touch and I see his book and I go, oh, no fucking way, dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is great. This is perfect. I'm, that is and so, so perfect. Jake and I start taking meetings and we start doing it. We have our meeting at um, St. Mark's. Yeah, St. Mark's, yeah. yeah. And uh, we have our meeting and I just see this guy come in with the swoopy hair. And, you know, all these people are quiet and typing on their computers, and I'm trying to, mo you know, I'm a loud guy. And I'm trying to modulate I hadn't picked my, up on that. Well, I'm, I'm trying to modulate my voice and be like, you know, trying to be considerate of people. And he's like, hey, how's it going, man? Yeah, what's going on? Okay, yeah, you know. That is a good joke. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. And so we start doing, we start having a conversation, and I'm sitting there, so I'm like excited because I want him to take the gig. I love his work, but I'm also like tense because... Like people who like talk out loud on their cell phones on buses, <laughs> yeah, drive fucking nuts, you know? right, or right. like talking on the phone. Like if anybody calls me when I'm riding a bus, they can tell I'm in a hurry to get off the phone. <laughs> right, you know, it's just right. one of those quirks, right? Yeah. And so, but I'm like going through that and like looking at his stuff and getting really excited. We start talking about the book. I send him over the script. He's into it, and he hits me with breakdowns later that week. Wow. Nice. And then That's how you get a job. we start working together and I start 
uh, you know, we we had gotten a Patreon following when we originally conceived the book. And the okay. original deal we were going to do is we're not we're only going to do per things. So we're only going to charge people when it happens. But then it wasn't happening. Yeah. So we got one book out and got a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, Fuck, dude, this is taking forever. A few of our patrons actually said, "You guys should just go month to month. We just want to help you out." And so we put out the word and we said, "Listen, guys, if you want to pull out, we understand. If you want to reduce your pledge, we understand. But we we cannot get forward momentum if we don't have regular funding coming in." And we lost a few people, right and some people did reduce. But most of the people stayed on. Great. And so I sent a payment over to Jake right away, and he just started sending me pages every single week, uh. and and really great stuff. And was talking and was giving me feedback about my story and liked my story. Nice. Yeah, we you had, know, we had some and, fun meetings with the and, whole and it was. Thing. I think with my bandmates, like their job is on stage playing. Yeah. They are gifted at their their instruments and that is where they show up with the band but when it comes to band business stuff uh-huh. and band ideas it's really hard to get them excited until they see it in front of them I got so you. talking about the story with them it was really kind of hard to get them to see it Jake got it right away he knew what I was going for he was laughing at the little things that I was putting in he liked the characters that I was creating he liked the themes that I was trying to create. And um, back to your question about the lessons, uh-huh. the, the second greatest lesson that has recurred to me recently is the, although I was frustrated with how, how long it's taken, um, it took as long as it needed to to get to the position that it's at now because I've learned so much more about writing. Uh-huh. You know, I went at it in the beginning with really this idea that I wanted to come and and just be very obvious about right from the get-go. Yeah. But then I learned about this idea that Dostoevsky talk, talks about, uh-huh. which is you start with a problem and then you don't know where it's going to go. Huh. Basically, the as a writer, you're you're uncovering and exploring the problem and you don't have any more of an idea where it's going to go than the reader has after it's finished. Mm -hmm. And the problem that I've been trying to solve in this series, and it hasn't gotten to it yet because it's really early in in it and it's mostly just a bunch of car chases and dick and fart jokes at this point, but it's going to get there, I promise, Uh, is this idea of are we going to be okay? Okay. As a civilization, as a species, as as a people. Well, that's a perfect segue for you to now give the pitch for the book. What is the book? So the book is The Front Lines of Good Times. It is ideally going to be uh, a 36-chapter, uh, three-volume uh, series that tells the story about a um, an itinerant band of uh, scrappers and merchants and entertainers on the side incidentally okay. entertainers on the side us <laughs> who are traveling through uh, the post-apocalyptic wasteland um, trying to survive right. basically a extinction level event called the great dying has wiped out two-thirds of the earth's population and um, by seemingly unrelated causes like just the overall death rate 
suddenly increases out of nowhere. Just nature starts spinning the herd and no one can really figure out why. So there's an increase in suicide, homicide, car wrecks, uh, slip and falls. Play, crash, yeah, heart attacks. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So the guy, the guy we got to narrate, the guy we got to narrate the motion comic. Is this that guy, you? No, no, no. This what is guy. Fuck this whole time, dude. So, <laughs> so, no. So that guy is this guy, Bobby Lee Black. And Bobby Lee Black is he's a tattooer up at, at Freaky's um, on Leedsdale. Mm-hmm. But he is also an actor. Huh. He's also a character actor, and he was in the shitty Punisher. Oh, the, yeah. The, oh. Dolph, yeah, 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 the Dolph. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. That, not is it Dolph Lundgren? No, 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 the, the, the newer one, show. Oh, the that was the shittiest Punisher. The new okay. shitty Punisher. The, wait, the one with the uh, uh, John Travolta or the awesome one Punisher Warzone? Because that movie fucking not sense. Punisher Warzone. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're about so, to fucking have a fight right now. So no, no, no. So so I actually I asked Bobby. Bobby and I worked together on another project, and I asked him. I was like, I was like, I want you to be the narrator for this. But I don't want you to come into the studio. I was like, I want you to record all your lines on your phone. Hmm. I was like, because I want it to sound like a shitty tape recorder. Because mm-hmm. one of the elements, um, one of the narrative devices is uh, there are mass communications, but they're all analog. Okay. Basically, space junk has interrupted satellite signals. So um, all you have is. Uh, Shortwave radio and uh, like so. There's no there's no broadband communication. There's no satellite television. There's just analog signals. There isn't even four G. No, there's no four G in this dump. No, I'm, I'm no suicide. But uh, but ba- ba- basically basically when everybody starts dying, it gives rise to a uh, an authoritarian um, coup that seizes power and uh, starts ruling with an iron fist and. Um, once the population drops sufficiently, it the death rate slows back down, and they claim this. They spin this as evidence that, that basically their rule is working. And what, what are they called again? You should tell uh, the the new order of uh, fundamentalist utilitarian nationalists, or no fun. No fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And so basically, they have excommunicated anyone anyone who seemed to be an enemy of the state. So um, intellectuals, journalists, comedians, artists, entertainers, or like actual criminals, um, they do like what with uh, what Pol Pot did and and what Castro did, and just basically they kick them out, yeah, or execute them or reeducate them. Um, but they basically form these mega cities, uh, Denver being one of them, because in a lot of the natural catastrophes that happen, because there's a bunch of natural catastrophes that happen, it's like. Uh, you think about, about a bunch of rats in a sewer, uh-huh. and if the sewer floods and there's like a piece of driftwood or or like a broken pallet or something like that, all the rats will pile onto the broken pallet to try and survive. But once they all get on top of it, it sinks, mm-hmm. and all the rats drown. So that's basically what has happened in that terms of... a good of, analogy. <laughs> it, it's coming up in the book, so get ready to draw it. I, um, I haven't read past script. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, ha- I, haven't ri- I haven't written it in the script yet, but uh, okay. it's, it's in there. Um, but so basically, the, uh, that's what has happened in terms of infrastructure and, and economy in the megacities is all these people have fled these catastrophes and gone into the megacities, and they're so crowded huh. that it's just unsustainable. And the you know authoritarian government in charge is ignoring it. Meanwhile, outside in 
the uh, the wastelands, there's um, basically chieftains, uh, gang, you know, uh, gangsters, uh-huh. um, uh, marauder chieftains that are they're warring for territory and and kind of working on the side for uh, the government and uh, and they are so the the first the first books the first volume is all about kind of the wars of the wasteland. And the second books are all about kind of the what's going on in the megacities and the relationship between the outlands and the megacities. And then the third one is more about the relationship between all humans and nature and the greater interconnectedness of things. Okay. So I've got it planned out all the way to the end. hippie shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Jake, is this uh, the first time... That you're executing somebody's long, somebody else's long form script. Yeah, long form. I've done some like uh, shorter stuff, but yeah, I have not previously uh, done what you just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to know what it's like for you, man, because I know a lot of your work, like this is heavy metal, is stuff that you wrote mm-hmm. and that you're drawing. Yeah. So is it different? Like how how is it different? It's fun actually. Like uh, you know, I get the scripts which are written in the format of comic scripts, which I don't know. I'm sure most people out here know, but you know, for the sake of it being a podcast, it's basically like a you know like a screenplay, but uh, it's broken down into panels. So it'll say panel one, describe the action, and then have the dialogue. Panel two, describe the action, you know, dialogue. Um, so Aaron writes the scripts, and then I will take that and do breakdowns. Or basically, like there's a like a rough draft. What I usually how I describe breakdowns is like if you see what my book looks like. It's like there's a really shitty version of that in a sketchbook, somewhere, <laughs> you know, with like stick figures. And, Which is super know. exciting, by the way. When you see your idea in a breakdown, it's right. fucking awesome. Yeah, right. it's cool. Yeah. It's, it's thrilling, dude. There's nothing like it. Well, we awesome. have our meetings, and you show me the breakdowns of the book. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, it's funny. It makes me feel, to some extent, that I have like that. My creative contribution is more than uh, just like a drawing monkey, basically. Uh, <laughs> you know, taking. Taking what is in a script and, you know, visualizing myself and being a person that sort of translates that is definitely an enjoyable part of the overall process. I would be interested to know, actually, how, like, when you do, uh, when you give an artist a script, do you, uh, do you, are you, like, really, really specific about, like, compositions, camera Uh angles, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff? Well, I just noticed he had a burn a metronome sticker on his... (laughs) Oh, hell yeah! (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, you know, I think it's it's always interesting because I feel like the balance between um, writer and artist in comics mm-hmm. uh, is is something you have to figure out. Yeah. Like uh, some artists want more explicit, some artists want less, you know. Um, and then some artists, as you get to know them and work with them, are really strong at emotional scenes but are not as strong with uh, fight scenes huh. or the yeah. other way around. Sure. You know, and I think as you grow more and get to know each other, then the things that I know that they're not as strong at, I will write more specifically. Yeah. But I almost never do a camera angle unless the particular angle has something to do with the yeah, story. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Because ideally, the art, the reason that I'm working with these artists is that they can add something that I don't have. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I generally have a... Um, I generally have a cinematic idea of how I want it to look. Like, I think about this in terms of the motion comic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I write the frames, I have a really good idea of what the action looks like, what the angle is. But Jake, as a trained, professional, experienced artist, right. is very good at being like, 
yeah, you know, I read that part and I just, it didn't make a lot of sense having this guy yell it all the way across here, so I changed it to this character and and I thought that this made more sense. And this look, uh, this uh, Jake impression. Really, this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but but what I what I was most what most impressed me is Jake took exactly what I wrote, and like there it was on right. the page. And and I don't like. Do you feel like I? Like I like I restrict your your creative contribution. This is time to bring it out like, on the microphone. Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. I mean, gloves are off. I'm curious. Like, do I do I paint you into a corner at all? Or do no, you not feel really like at all. Have... In fact, like I said, that's kind of. Uh, I mean, that was kind of what I was referring to when I was saying that, or said that uh, it. That's the aspect of it that makes me feel probably most like I'm a creative contributor to the project. But, you know, there's actually a quality that's really fun about uh, working on. Speaking of working on somebody else's script. Uh, you know, when I write my own comics, I have a pretty distinctive understanding of how it is that I want to communicate the thing that I want to communicate, and, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, so I just, like, you know, I, I have a way that I do shit, and, uh, working with somebody else's stuff, it's fun to, uh, figure out how to depict somebody else's ideas, so specifically with this, like, generally, my approach to writing an action scene in a comic is, because, you know, they're static images, uh, you want to have one thing happen that's like big and dramatic and then you want to have somebody say something funny have like a pre or post mortem one line or something like that you know so you want it to kind of all you want to try to compact all the action into as like succinct or brief of a moment as you can and reading your script the first time for like for uh, that second issue um, I could tell that you were imagining the scene in a very cinematic way and it was an interesting sort of experiment for me, or, you know, just thing to do for me to, rather than do the thing that I just said, where it's like, you know, one big dramatic moment, there's like tons of these little dramatic moments where you would think about, like, this reads like a movie. And trying to translate this script that reads distinctly as if it would have been, you know, like, written to be thought of, you know, to be viewed as a, like a sort of movie, a lot of, you know, fast action, figuring out how to translate that into static images right. in a way that you know, is going to still feel really fast-paced. Freezing you know, the movie. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, and showing showing the best frame of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. Um, yeah, so that totally. was a very fun part. Because, you know, like, there were some... Some panels would be, like, you know, fucking... Like a monster truck driving down the road. And like somebody like somebody jumps off, or, like, from one car to another, and then he starts shooting a machine gun into the sea, like, the roof of the car. And I was like, that's a fucking lot of stuff for a <laughs> So figuring out how to translate all that stuff into, uh, which you did remarkably well, by the way. Right on. Do what it can out yeah. there, you know. I love that book. I really <laughs> Me too, do. Actually. And I, and the new book, like, I'm, I'm very excited about the. New it's book. looking good. It's and I'm really excited about the motion comic that Macy's making. Oh man, yeah, it's looking great. Like it, dude. That the motion comic that he's making is exactly what I imagined from the beginning. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's 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 really incredible. I can't wait for you. Guys. I gotta say, you're fucking good at visualizing, man. Like, <laughs> oh, like you see you see Jake's book. You're like, that's the kind of art I want. And then, eventually, Jake becomes your artist. <laughs> you know, and then you have this vision of what the motion comic will look like, and it's coming. That's that's really cool to see. I had to learn how to use my mind. Hmm. Um, no, seriously, seriously. So um, uh, that's going to be the pull-out quote from the interview. <laughs> several years ago, several years ago, because the band has been everything to me for so long. Now, of course, you know it's it's my wife and my baby and and all that stuff. But the band the band is still hugely important to me. But it 
it used to be the most important thing to me in the world. You know, right. I, an obsession, something that I worked on every single day. And, um, and I wanted to make it work so bad, and I was having so many personal problems and just such a shitty, wasteoid bag of shit that I was trying to find anything I could to get it together. And I started studying, you know, I, I started seeing therapists and studying neurolinguistic programming and yeah. all these different things. And I went to some trainings and like, be, like I'm a certified master practitioner of yeah. neurolinguistic programming okay. and hypnosis and timeline therapy. And the greatest thing that I got out of it is the ability to learn how to watch and understand the operations in my mind and to understand the, like, learning to pay attention. Meditation has been huge for this, too. Just the mindfulness uh, practice, opening up the ability to observe your internal representations, uh-huh. like observing the sounds you make in your head, absor- observing the the pictures you make in your head, and observing the, the, the feelings that you get. And it really taught me how to notice and control and it was like a user's manual for my brain. Yeah. And taught me how to use that uh, mechanism. And since I've learned to use that mechanism, it has made creating so much easier. Okay. Well, so out of curiosity, does the uh, NLP come into play with how you dialogue, the dialogue you use in your scripts? You know, that's a good as far as the linguistic stuff shit. goes, it, now as far as the linguistic stuff goes, um, you know, you learn, uh, like you learn, they cram a lot in there. Yeah. And it's in there, and I went to a really great training and learned a lot, but aside from things that I might do unconsciously, I don't deliberately set out to use little linguistic tricks. Uh-huh. You know, I will catch myself do catch myself doing something and recognize it. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, that's a syntactic ambiguity right there. Uh-huh. That's a, that a, but becoming aware of that has allowed me to use it more masterfully, and that applies to lyrics as well. Right. You know, like the music. We barely talked about the music, but the the music for this project. I didn't really look at it as necessarily being a part of the story. I looked at it as more of like the music that characters in the story would write incidentally. Okay. It's more just used as like the soundtrack for yeah. for the whole story going on. Mm-hmm. Cool. But uh, but but no, I, I didn't go out of my way to like try and use little tricks to like <laughs> to like uh, you know control people's minds. <laughs> well, I thought more towards you know I mean um, a lot of storytelling is about eliciting an emotional reaction. You know, mm-hmm. so you know you know people come in handy. Perhaps. I've I have become more consciously aware of when when I do something that works. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't set out to really focus so much on. I'm I'm more thinking of it in terms of. Um, I've got the big picture of idea of the story I want to tell uh-huh. and then I've got these different sort of beats in the different books that one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing you know okay. the Trey Parker and Matt Stone um, uh, this happens this happens but the like the like then then but type of right uh, approach to writing mm-hmm. okay yeah alright so uh 
we're gonna take some questions from you guys in a minute, so start thinking of them. Uh, it better really? be good. Man. <laughs> All right. Ask me a question. <laughs> Try me. Before we get to these questions, you guys got to tell this Billy Ray Cyrus thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so uh, a good friend of mine, this guy Mikey Peterson, um, he actually uh, he has a background in action sports. Uh, we knew each other from, they used to do punk and hardcore shows at Sox Place. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Um, Mikey was in the hardcore scene. He was doing a lot of video for them. We ended up getting hooked up that way. And Mikey and his brother, Tim, were big film guys. They were filming a lot of action sports, like I said, skating and snowboarding and stuff. They used some of our music and some of their videos that they like premiered at the Gothic and whatnot. Eventually, Mikey and a friend create this stop-motion animation series called The Nug Nation, and it features characters made of real weed, getting into different <laughs> adventures and whatnot. Mike has all these contacts um, from doing his commercial videography work. Uh, yeah. You know, he's been really tight with Ink Monster. He's made, I think, two videos for uh, Redman. Okay. Um, so he already had this vision for kind of creating this piece of content that would then be a that would kind of ride the wave of cannabis uh, decriminalization eventually legalization Mikey needed uh, an actor he needed a couple actors we started doing voices for these characters and started doing uh, punch up for scripts that they're writing eventually it just gets bigger and bigger starts getting paired up with these brands um, you know these these weed companies uh, I got to interview Redman, I got to interview Afro Man, I got to yeah. interview the Nappy Roots. One of my favorite interviews today. Those guys are so cool. Um, Jaron Benton, uh, Scotty ATL. At, uh, Did you? At Ophelia's, yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah. Super cool guys. Awesome. Super yeah. cool guys. Just the sweetest dudes. Eventually, you know, the, the, the company has gotten the big enough to where we have our own studio now and they're doing freelance commercial work still to kind of keep the lights on and we're in the process of a merger with Burn TV, which is a cannabis lifestyle channel that is gathering funding right now. Uh -huh. uh, MF Ruck has started doing the motherfucking podcast there. Check it out on Stitcher, iTunes, and wherever <laughs> else you listen to podcasts, the MF podcast. Every well done. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we started doing our podcast there and whatnot. And um, at one point, we had this group of producers that were shopping us around at the different networks. Uh, we took meetings with Comedy Central, Adult Swim, TBS. A uh, bunch of companies, and all of them pretty much said the same thing, which is you've got something really awesome here, but with Jeff Sessions gesturing the way that he is, because this is when Jeff Sessions was really indicating that he was going to move towards uh, federal um, recriminalization, essentially. Yeah, could uh, move toward it, whichever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they didn't want to touch it. They were like, it's too hot right now. We don't want to mess with it. So that ended up not working out. We started leaning more towards Burn TV and that partnership. Uh -huh. We're in the process of developing content for Amazon Prime and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, one of those producers is actually uh, Billy Ray Cyrus's like handler. Okay. Like he worked with him on um, that uh, that show, Still the King, that Billy Ray Cyrus did. Like I don't know. It, uh, it's some cable I'll show. I'll take your that, word for it. It's some show that, that Billy Ray Cyrus Billy Ray Cyrus in it. Billy Ray Cyrus had a show. Yeah. So Billy yes, Ray Cyrus he, he starts... He was in uh, uh, Mulholland Drive. Did you know he that? was in Mulholland Drive. I did not Drive, know that. Yeah. So he starts getting all this, this heat so <laughs> from uh, the Lil Nas X thing, the Old okay. Town Road thing. Yeah. 
And so he goes to put his album out, which is another great story. For any of your listeners who don't know about it, stop this. Go listen to the uh, Vox did a really great story on uh, Today Explained um, about it. Uh, so the, the little Nas X thing happens, and he all of a sudden Billy Ray Cyrus has got a number one hit across all these different charts, and it starts getting heat again. So he starts putting out this record, and there's a song on the record called "Angel in My Pocket" that is about um, about a joint, having a joint in your pocket. Potsy, the producer, who is also his handler, Potsy. goes, hey, Patsy. I've got this really <laughs> great studio in Colorado that makes a cartoon featuring characters made of real weed. Billy Ray Cyrus has been a millionaire since the 90s, and his daughter is, you know, super famous. So he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll be over at the pool, you know. <laughs> so they, they send us the song, and Mikey and uh, Jamie Jorgensen, our head animator, they crammed two months worth of work into two weeks on a shoestring budget working 40 hours in a row at times Uh you know sleeping on the couch in the green room in the office they were getting like and um they were were looking for a storyboard artist (laughs) yeah i've been working with jake i can't pay jake as much as he'd like to get paid so i'm like (laughs) hey man i can't pay you but i can get you this gig drawing storyboards for a Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. That was cool. Yeah. I was like, what? So it's, so, not like, it's not like every project. You mean, you mean the guy from Mulholland Drive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jake and I, you know, we're trying our best to pitch in and, and help build props and stuff. And by the skin of our teeth, we got it out. Um, my only complaint is that Billy Ray Cyrus has been rich for so long that he just doesn't have to do anything for himself. He has a multi-million dollar studio in his house, but he doesn't know how to turn any of the equipment on. <laughs> and he sent in all his lines via telephone. It was the, well, I was like, like what if you, the fuck is <laughs> If you watch the video for the first time, I was being like, yo, did he record this like while he was driving? I was like, I didn't think he had to fucking drive. It's like, we're recording it on you know microphones in a studio. And like, <laughs> these guys are working their asses off and I'm getting mad. And I'm like, this is disrespectful to our art. <laughs> yeah. This is disrespectful to the work you guys have put in. And then they explained to me, they go, no, 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 dude, here's the thing. It's, he just doesn't know. Like, like Potsy explained it to us, like handling Billy Ray Cyrus is just like pulling teeth, getting him to do anything. Ah, I didn't because know this. I like, wondering He has this. not had to work since he was in his 20s. Achy, breaky heart, set him up for life. And then Hannah Montana, you know, and yeah. everything else that has happened is just like, the Cyruses are set. All they have to do is party and be weird. Thank you, That's a really good song. And so, <laughs> no, it is. And so, so like finding that out, and we're like, well, certainly, this will get passed along to the label, and the label will make him re-record it. But the label was like, nope, push it on through. <laughs> so, like, if you look at the comments on YouTube, it's just like, and, uh, it's mostly that. It's shit, mostly yeah. people just like, did he record this on his telephone? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. But yeah, all right. it's but, a fantastic uh, opportunity. So you guys did this thing with Billy Ray Cyrus. So uh, where can they find it on YouTube? What's the name of it? It's called Angel in My Pocket by okay. Billy Ray Cyrus and the Nug Nation. And it's a video that did you you did voice? I did. I did. Uh, I voiced all the characters in it except for Billy Ray Cyrus. You'll be able to tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mine Jake was still in the, the studio board. on a microphone. Nice. Uh, but I did. I did um, when I did the crowd uh, voices. I did twelve layers of voices. I did all twelve voices. And cool. Then, Oh, you just um, got all Mel Blank with it. Yeah, yes. yeah, pretty oh, yeah. much. 
Yeah, so I just went in one day and just started layering voices up. I did uh, I did the, the boss and I did the farmer. Hmm. Um, it was super fun. It was, it was really great. great to be part of it. It got covered in Rolling Stone and Billboard. And yeah, I saw it. That's, saw that's just not, most of the things that I do don't get write-ups in the Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> what do you mean? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so Jake and I are both writing the fuck out of the Nug Nation's coattails. Yeah, the cool. fuck out of... Do it. The Ray yeah. Cyrus's coattails, and it and it did amazing things for the Nug Nation. We got some huge stuff that's going out mm-hmm. soon. So. All right, which means great stuff for the comic and the bands. This we'll sounds incredible. Way. Okay, questions. You kind of, Aaron, you kind of skipped over. You were talking about seeing Tim Burton's Batman and shooting yourself in the backyard. What's the correlation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, he wants to know the correlation between seeing Tim Burton's Batman and shooting yourself. Well, um, th- there really is no other. Cor- correlation, except that it happened to be incidental that I was thinking about Batman and just like <laughs> childhood trauma just popped up to the surface like it does. But basically, I wore my sister's leotard. That she was, <laughs> you shit a leotard? Her leotard, if you will. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Never thought of that before this moment. That was exclusive. But, uh, you know, back at the time, I was kind of a latchkey kid, and, like, everybody was going as Batman that year, and I, you know, my mom helped me make this Batman costume, and I had stomach problems all day, and I was on the bus, and I could feel it starting to happen, and I hopped the fence into my parents' backyard, and the back door was locked, and no one was home, and I couldn't get the leotard off fast enough, and I just shit inside of it. But then I just, like, went inside when my parents got home, and, like, cleaned out the leotard, and... And went out trick-or-treating anyway. <laughs> With the leotard over your head. Gave it back to your sister, never told her the story. That's cool. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, this leotard already had shit in it, actually. I, got, I, bought, I, had, to, I had to pay extra at the department store for the shit inside this leotard. You should be thankful. Yeah, actually, my sister ended up getting bullied really hard at school that year. <laughs> I didn't know why. Yeah, they, they, shit in leotard. called her diarrhea so girl. We had to move. <laughs> All right, next question. Who has a question? All right, I got one. For yeah, you. lay it on me, baby. Calling me out. Yeah, I feel bad. You have to repeat this. <laughs> better be good. All right, so the illustrations going from like here, this is heavy metal stuff to front lines of good times. There's kind of a switch in style. You can still still tell it's your stuff. Um, is that due to the stories, like the content of the stories that Aaron was giving you, or was it the deadlines? So we noticed a style change from your book to the MF Ruckus book. What was the reason? Was it the deadlines or was it a it was deliberate a style change? Ah, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. I can't control Dude, you couldn't have come up with a better lie. Right. <laughs> no, it, but at, at the same time, you look at this is heavy metal. This is heavy metal is insanity. Yeah. Like, that is the ramblings of a madman. Uh, like, this is heavy metal is like satanic heavy metal absurdism. Yeah. Like it is. It is Totally surreal. You got your tagline like, now. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it's going right up. Go the back ahead. Of the book. Just make sure you <laughs> give me the finder's fee. <laughs> no, it's it's like I mean, you you say it's the deadlines, but I mean, there's also an element of it. It's just like uh, that style of drawing wouldn't really aid the story, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, with this is heavy metal. When I started that book, I was like just in my mid twenties. It was just like I had already made a couple books at that point. But they were kind of shitty. Uh, well, they weren't shitty, but they were they were not examples of me doing the best that I possibly can. And when I made that book, I was like, well, it would be cool for me at some point in my career to have a 
you know, I have a book that features the features work that is done at the to the best of my capabilities. So I did that, but then it turns out that that if you do a comic book where you try as hard as you possibly can, it's gonna take you a fucking long time, or you're just way more talented than me. So you're pulling a Billy Ray Cyrus while you're making my. I I I recorded that whole comic book on myself. Uh, but uh, and uh, no, so with uh, I drew with it the in paint. Book, <laughs> I used to love drawing. No, with the Ruckus book, uh, it was it is definitely one part that I knew that I needed to do it more quickly. But uh, also, I you know having spent so much time working on this is heavy metal, I was kind of tired of doing all that laborious, you know, just like constant, but you know, obsessing over detail work. And I wanted to. I was actually happy to be afforded an opportunity to. Uh, kind so of given up to, is what you're saying. Yeah. Given up. I was, I was, I, you know, trying to flex a uh, a more cartoonist oriented style, kind of like uh, more simple uh, geometric shape dynamic stuff, and yeah. more focus on just like making your black white balance be the thing that defines the visual aesthetic of your page. Uh, hmm. yeah, there's in case no you were wondering there's there. there like a little bit here and there but uh, I think it does like yeah, yeah sometimes that uh, that amount of detail doesn't serve the story the uh, type of story so it's yeah. a different type of story well, yeah, yeah. so we one of one of our one of our uh, key pieces of, of reference material is we talked a lot about the walking dead yeah you know and the walking dead is presented in much more of a like a novel you know, there's there's a lot more dialogue. There's a lot more uh, there's a lot more character development, mm-hmm. I would say, and so there's not necessarily the need for as much intensity on the page mm-hmm. from frame to frame. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like one of the other things. Like the book's supposed to be fun, and it's a more it's definitely a more fun style than the you know, the style that I was using was heavy metal. I just yeah, like to think that I'm fun. helping Jake mature. That's the way. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're taking me to. I'm on a stairway to heaven called Aaron Howell. You've got a lot of talent, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to learn how to focus your gift. You've got to learn how to fight. We should fight. All right. <laughs> we should fight. Next question. Uh, anybody else have a question? That was a good question, by the way. He called you out and you did it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. thinking about it for a while since yeah. you said that. Uh-huh. It's going, going. All right. I have two questions I always end with. Okay. Uh, first question is what comics or other media are you reading or checking out that are inspiring you artistically now uh, Wisecrack is the greatest thing on the internet um, what is it? Wisecrack is a channel on YouTube they do um, deep philosophical dives into various media um, and they I actually found them on Patreon I back them on Patreon oh, cool. and uh, really just fantastic stuff um, what really got me into them is I found a deep dive they did on Westworld and there's um, their philosophical deep dive into Westworld uh, inspired me to watch the show okay like spoilers and all like they give spoiler alerts at the beginning of every episode yeah and that made me want to watch it more just like seeing um, you know, learning, it, it's taught me a lot as a writer about developing themes yeah. and, and, and communicating philosophical ideas, but they'll, they'll take something like, they, do so, they have an entire podcast dedicated to Rick and Morty. They have an entire podcast de- dedicated to South Park. 
they have a tie, an entire podcast dedicated to just the the meaning of movies. So wisecrack. Yeah, wisecrack. On YouTube. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, check them out. They're How about awesome. you, Jake? Oh, I read some of uh, Alita: Battle Angel the other day because that movie came out. Uh, good. The new the new goon is popping off pretty hard. Nice. Uh, I met Eric Powell the other day. It was a fun guy. It was a great day in my Did life. Did you know Jan is a character in the goon? What? Jan the Belgian, the Belgian. Yeah, I just the, I was drawing his face like two hours ago. Yeah, uh-huh. he when he was in the states visiting, uh-huh. he flew out to Nashville for the Goon 25th anniversary uh-huh. party or whatever they had because he's there's a character in the early episode of the Goon based on Jan. Wow! What is little factoid? Shout out to my buddy Jan Lipkins in yeah. Belgium. Yes. Yeah. All right. Last question. Where can you guys be found on social media? Where can people engage with your music? Where can people get the book? All of that stuff. Uh, well, you can read Josh's comic and Jake's comic on uh, for free on our website in a high-res PDF format. Uh, go to mfruckus.com. Uh, that's where you can find links to our podcast, uh, our YouTube series, uh, the comic, uh, everything that we do is on that website, mfruckus.com. Uh, we are on uh, the MF Podcast, is on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and Google Play. We're on Instagram at mfruckus. We're on Twitter at mfruckus the band. We're on Facebook at mfruckus band, um, Spotify. And uh, we're going to be working on our SoundCloud soon and doing. Because I, I'm not really a big SoundCloud user. I want to just put a bunch of stems and demos on there and call it Seeds and Stems. I think that'll be wildly unpopular, like but that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, those are the best places to find us. All right, Jake, how about, how about your art stuff? Uh, well, wherever fine books are sold in Denver, uh, you know, I got an Instagram. It's called Jake Fairley Comics. Uh, let's see. Oh, Mutiny Information Cafe carries the our Mutiny book. Mutiny Information Cafe is where you can get it's all the home shit of everything from me. cool. Yeah, if you are in Denver and you like cool stuff, you're probably going to be here at some point. And July 26th, we're premiering yeah. the motion comic of Chapter 2. Yep. And we are uh, releasing the print edition of Chapter, chapter three. 3. Nice. And uh, Ruckus is going to play. Hail Satan's going to play. Hail Satan and the Ruckus. The Diffusers are making their debut. And uh, Ceasefire is going to play yep. at Lost Lake, July 26th. Go to that show. It's going to be great. But, be uh, yeah, you know, look at Find Hail Satan. It's on SoundCloud or it's on Bandcamp or you know you can find it on YouTube watch that music video it's called I Will Eat You by Hail Satan it's, it's worth super, watch it's super fun it's and great it's blood and <laughs> guts uh, and like a real gourmet meal prepared by Bruce yeah right? Bruce our guitar player is a chef and uh, it's he, not really made out of white supremacists but you can pretend it is yeah I mean you don't know that <laughs> do you think white supremacists would take Tastes good. I think that the I would say probably would, would make would spoil the meat. Yeah, yeah. make it chewy. All that gamey. Yeah, real, real gamey racists. <laughs> <laughs> and what better note to end on? Oh yeah. Uh, can you give our guest a round of applause for being here? Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. So that was Aaron Howe and Jake Fairley. Jake was also in the Kickstarter video for my graphic novel, The Burning Metronome. So he kind of helped me get it all started. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll catch you soon.